G'day, welcome to Radio Notes, where those in music talk life, those in life chat music, and more. Huge show today, so let's dive right in. Tasmanian Claire Ann Taylor has released their latest, All the Words, crafting soulful folk songs that connect with all shades of the human experience. Their debut, Elemental, was called by the Sydney Morning Herald as Strong and Assured. While in South Australia touring their latest, Taylor caught up for an extended chat. First up, with guitar in hand, let's hear, performed live for Radio Notes, Pick Your Bones. Sucking on a dirty for smoke, oh sake, I was watching that smoke snake and coil over rainbow slicks avenging oil. That's when her car rolled in, one flat tire right down to the rim. She slammed the door and said, You let me down, right when I'm leaving this shithole town. Then she followed me back into the bar, bust old boy slouch and tried real hard. Pretend they didn't see her coming Crowbar Jim giving away everything But she sat down and ordered a pint of beer And I was pouring her drink when I happened to hear Old Jim bragging to his mates All the things I'd do to her back in my place And he grabbed her from behind Then she stood straight up and to my surprise she held her fists up in front of her face Stepping side to side with guts and grace Then she stood still and held her ground Said, little man, I'm gonna take you down Well, he roared with laughter till his cheeks turned red She hurled a brutal blow to his head Well, he fell to the floor with a heavy thigh Holding his nose on pissing blood She stood over him looking down your bones up off the floor We're gonna dance like you ain't ever danced before Look who wants a little more 
we flung one head her and she dodged her knees. And with a mighty thumb, she sent him to his knees. No, that commotion, nobody saw her pocket his keys and head for the door. I've heard whispers from distant towns. Some folks say they've seen her driving round. This Jeff Black Hole DJ. I can still hear her say, Make your bones about the floor. We're gonna dance like you ain't ever danced before. Pick your Welcome to Radio Notes. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Let's take you back to the beginning of your musical life. Yep. You were born in a barn, is what I remember, in Tasmania at the edge of the beautiful Tarkine Forest. Yep, that's true. What a magical experience being in that region was. An incredible place to grow up and just, I guess I didn't really appreciate how unusual it was until I moved away from that place, like until I kind of started, you know, living in cities and and things like that, I started to appreciate, wow, that was really unusual that to grow up the way I did in a place that was built by my parents and very kind of simple sort of using recycled materials and timber from the bush on the property. And I guess it was really unusual. Also, the beautiful touch regarding well, your birth, your first moments, is that bond between your mother and father where you were handed to your father as soon as you were born? My dad actually had an incredible, from what I'm told, he had an incredibly calming presence at when it came to births to the point where he was actually asked to attend the births of other friends and and women in the district because he sort of gained a little reputation as being quite the midwife having no medical experience or anything but he just had a really amazing presence about him from what I'm told and so he delivered all of us babies out there except for my eldest brother who they labored for a long time and ended up going into hospital And when they got to hospital, this was back in, I I think he was born in the late 70s. When they got to hospital, the doctor was so rude and said to my mum, is that your husband? Uh, Saying that to my dad. She said, we're not married, uh, so no, he's not my husband, but that's my partner and the father of my child. And he said, well, if you're not married, he can't come in. So they locked him out of the room didn't allow him to be there for the birth so I think that's probably a big part of the reason that he wanted to be so involved and hands-on in the future births because 
that's a really special time and to not be allowed to share that is pretty crazy. That was in the 70s, you yeah. say? Yeah, really old school and ideas. And in Tasmania as well. Yeah, exactly. So some of those like really old school ideas that, you know, still persist down there. But I think that it's, we've come a long way. Back then you were kind of considered a bastard if you were born to unwed parents. So yeah, I'm a proud bastard. This Tasmania we speak of in Australia for international listeners is where the wonderful Hannah Gatsby grew up as well. I am the youngest and there were four um, older brothers in my family and um, my older sister too. So I feel like mum was pretty comfortable with the whole birth thing at home by the time I came along. But some of the births weren't without their complications. Like I know I had the umbilical cord wrapped around my head and and I, I was um, in a weird kind Why of do we pose. Do that? I don't know. <laughs> I also had my arm like up like near my head and it was really quite uncomfortable. But I think my parents sort of believed. Some people would say it it's risky and dangerous behavior to think that you can go through births on your own in a natural environment but they they did it with success for most of them so it's only that first birth where they felt unsure and that's when they drove into the hospital back to your father we've heard there that he is a calming factor a midwife type what else is there about your father that we need to know he's a really philosophical kind of person and he's got a beautiful deep wisdom about him and he's an incredible poet and songwriter too so I feel like I owe a lot of my lyrical kind of passions to him and also I, I think one thing that I really admire about my dad is the way that he when he sings a song and he like he just puts all this passion and heart into it and I feel like that's something that I try to do when I perform too I really give a lot of myself and I've seen that in my dad too something that I, I really admire is it true on this latest record that your mother makes an appearance on our song yeah she does we recorded her vocals in the family barn actually and she sings on the last track on the record on on the song called rise to your door and to me that is the the pinnacle of the album because I just feel like every time I hear her voice come in I, I just get shivers because I think there's something about the voice of your own mum that you've probably heard since you were so little that it does something to you it just cuts through you but she also just sings so beautifully it sounds like an angel singing so for me that was just like oh that was gold to have to be able to share with people on the album what are some of your fond memories of your mother as you grew up it's hard to pinpoint like the exact memories because all of them were fond like my mum is just such a joyous beautiful human like she just has such a joy about her I don't ever really recall her ever getting like upset or angsty like I recall her getting sad at times when you know through great losses in the family and but she was never a like a negative person just such a positive force and always so much joy and music she just has this warmth about her other people have spoken about that as well a lot of people describe this gorgeous light that just emanates from her and I I see that too it's just she's a golden goddess John that's for sure she's still with us is she a guiding light in that respect absolutely we're very close and it's just so nice to to have someone like her who I trust and who I value her wisdom so much that 
feel like with both my parents, I've been so fortunate to have them, you know, in times of uncertainty with music and, and where I'm going, they've always backed me and they've always had my best interests at heart. So sometimes I think in the music industry, you can feel like you get forced to make decisions based on what's best for your career but you Mm. don't always consider what's best for you and they have always been those people that have gone hang on is that best for where you're at emotionally or physically like they're always considering that first and I think it's just been so nice to have people in my life who really recognize when I might need a break it's good to have people that are thinking of that first living in the barn right through to teenage years yep What does it mean to live in a barn? Well, in my case, this barn is similar to like a normal house, but just a bit creakier and and a bit colder in the winter. But the main thing is that there was always a lot of laughter and chatter and and musical things going on. I think we were all very creative kids. And all the siblings lived in the same bedroom? There's sort of, between my eldest sibling and I, there's quite an age gap. So it's about 14 years between my eldest brother Jeb and I. From my sort of young memories, he was already off at uni when I was, you know, quite young. So it's not like we were all like young kids packed into a space, but basically the youngest kid spent longer up in the loft with the parents until they were ready to go and sleep in the big room at the end of the house with whoever else was there often when kids reach like in the family reach their sort of like teenage years they would move out to like a caravan or another room we had over by the dam so there was space for people if they needed it space for my brothers and my sister but I think there was a real sense of togetherness and always like a lot of harmony amongst the family. I don't really recall any major fights or anything except for a couple of like childish heckles that went too far or, you know, I, but apart from that, I don't recall us being struggling to get along. It any was, pets? We had some dogs in the early days. My parents had some beautiful dogs like earlier on one dog sage and then another caramel and and then we had a dog bimbo she died when i was quite young and then we sort of had cats from then on really dog called bimbo yeah i'm glad that you stopped on that because have you ever heard that idea where how you derive your porn stage name is like you use your first pet and the street that you first lived at fred gladstone fred gladstone mine is Bimbo Detention. Detention Falls Road, that was the name of our road because we had a falls at there and it was called Detention Falls. What kind of dog was Bimbo? Bimbo was a Spaniel. Um, I can't believe I Spaniel. just asked that question. She was a beautiful old girl from my memories. One day, I, I do remember the day she passed, she just she went out under the clothesline. She just laid there under the shade of this tree that was nearby and, and she just didn't move. Yeah, she had a, a nice life out there. It was pretty special. You had other pets as well, those of the very rare Tasmanian devil. We did, yeah. That was when I was a little bit older. One night my brother and I were sitting in front of our beautiful big open fireplace and we heard this growling. At first we didn't know where it was coming from, but it was this like strange growling sound. And I think my mum was more clued on to what it was than we were because she had probably heard devils up close. But 
my brother and I were quite shocked at first but really like wanted to find out where it was coming from so we were putting our ears to the walls initially and eventually we worked out that it was coming from under the floorboards so then we got our torches and we went outside and down to the bit where you could sort of shine underneath the house under where we thought it was coming from in the dark like with the torchlight we could see this mother devil and her little baby devils that were like suckling off her and and fighting for the milk I guess was really special times where we had these baby devils growing up with their mum under the house I didn't actually again realize how unusual that is until years later when you know even Tasmanians don't usually get an experience like that we really had a very intimate time with them I remember having a bath once and the mother devil came into the bathroom like and sat there for a bit and I don't know what she was doing but she was checking me out I just didn't want to move because I didn't want to make her leave beautiful creatures they're not at all kind of like your aggressive the the stereotype that they have they're really quite timid and quite shy actually for a while we'd bring home roadkill and we chucked it in the back of the old Datsun and we'd throw it under the house and they'd have a feeding frenzy so yeah they they came to know us as people that were safe and were providing them with a bit of food so it was a really special time I I sort of wish they'd never grow up and never leave because it's inevitable that devils will then once they're big enough they'll go out on their own and find their own den and hopefully start a family of their own too so but it was just so special to have them Near to the barn is a cave with a bit of a hangover. We just called it the caves. That was the name. Like we'd have cave parties. So it's this beautiful big cave that is not too far down the road from our place. And it sort of became a meeting point for a lot of like young teenagers back in the day so like my brothers were sort of the main ones who started it with their mates we'd have these big wild cave parties when it all sort of started I I think the cave was quite small and it was sort of built up with all the dirt but my brothers dug it out quite a bit so that it was like quite a big cavernous space yeah they ended up like always having beautiful big fires out the front of the cave and playing music down there and I remember actually we had this funny thing called the townie jump which it was basically in when you're a kid that grows up in the bush you get a bit of flack for being from the bush sometimes like but by the same token anyone that was from town that would come out to the bush and hang out we used to call them townies the townie jump was basically like a rite of passage for the townies so they would have to jump off this pretty high rock ledge onto the ground to prove that they had what it took you know to be a bushy which is just so hilarious like I look back on that now and go that was dangerous and pretty stupid I think it was a bit of a joke but a drunken joke that often actually happened to a lot of townies that would do the jump. When did you start the realization that you could be a singer-songwriter? I actually took a long time to come around to that as a possibility considering I was a kindergarten kid who when asked what they wanted to be when they grew up I I said I wanted to be a rock star big aspirations for a kindergartner but who was big when you were in kindy what was inspiring that I grew up with a lot of older music like I grew up with a lot of stuff that was 
influenced by my parents like Leonard Cohen and, and Joni Mitchell and Dylan and Tom Waits and The Doors and but then I also had my older brothers and my sister influence me with their music too. I think I used to like in terms of vocalists that I used to love as a kid I remember loving Tracy Chapman I thought she was a man for a long time until somebody told me one day how much they loved her and I said what do you mean like I love him too but it's her like but yeah Tracy Chapman and did that help you with your own comfort with your own deep tones maybe I don't know like I think that I was quite um shy and a little bit embarrassed about my voice for a long time because when I was in primary school I do remember a couple of comments and things getting a little bit teased about having a voice that sounded like I was a bit sick I remember people saying what's wrong with your voice you know other kids so I had a little bit of a complex there that I didn't sound like everyone else like I had a sort of huskiness to my voice even as a kid so I think I was a little bit embarrassed about it so I didn't share it for a long time it wasn't until I was about 16 that I first sang in front of somebody outside of home so that question of when you started becoming a songwriter singer was it around that 15 16 yeah it was it was sort of actually I remember my music teacher probably recognized that I had a bit of a knack for it and sort of set me a challenge to say you have to write a song by the end of the year and it has to have a color in it that was the challenge part of me was like oh that could be a thing that I actually do you know I just till then I'd loved writing stories that was a big ever since I was very little story writing was my favorite thing to do at school I just loved it, it feels inevitable looking back that I would have gotten into writing songs and because they're sort of just stories too but yeah it probably wasn't until about that age that I sort of had the confidence enough to not care too much about what other people thought and the first times that I did do it in front of people I did get quite an amazing response so it made me feel good and it made me feel like oh maybe I have something. How did you work through that? How, how did you get from teased kid to admired voice? I think partly is it wasn't like it wasn't an easy process I think that there were a lot of I remember being so nervous before my first performance in front of the school but I feel like there was something inside of me that said this is something I really want to do like and maybe the the feeling inside of me helped me with the courage that I needed to just get up there and do it anyway but yeah it took a lot of courage and I remember it being so scary just being shaking and feeling so sick beforehand because in those moments it feels like that this is like the biggest deal in your world to sing a song of your own in front of your peers at that high school age is like where the thing that you're most frightened of is being judged by other people like that is the biggest thing at that time I owe a lot probably to my brothers and my sister for helping me to learn the guitar in the first place and helping like teaching me songs and stuff two albums later that's two full-length albums later where are you getting your confidence from now I don't know that I would definitely call it confidence but where I get this sort of desire to get up on that stage is it's become more of a humble place for me now it's actually not about like putting on this incredible performance and 
and having it reviewed and and it's not about all of that stuff for me it's actually just about that beautiful moment of human connection that you experience when you're on stage like when somebody when audience members are crying in a song of yours like to me that is that's the pinnacle I feel like you can't get any better it's sort of like this internal purpose to that I have a sort of feeling that what I'm doing means something to someone and that sort of in some way it overrides your sense of whether you're confident enough or worthy of being on that stage because it sort of takes you out of your own self then if you're thinking about just giving something to someone else you're not so preoccupied with whether you're good enough or not for me it's really about that connection and realizing the, the beauty that like and that power of music to heal and to bring hope and to bring joy or anger or all those emotions that are really important at times to feel it's been nice to come to that space where I'm not so in my head of being worried about whether I'm going to be received well or whether mm. people are going to like me or not that to me isn't as important it's more about that connection
wind howling through the blackwood tree. Nothing on you. Claire and Taylor live for Radio Notes. November of 2019, you'll be playing Mullum as well as the Queenscliff Music Festival, respectively. Yeah. You were mentioning regarding the music industry and fitting into a mould or finding a way of selling the music. Yeah. There really is no other way of stating that. There's no sugar on top. How have you navigated or avoided some of those tropes? I think, actually, it has been a hard one. I th- the, the most kind of stressed and anxiety prone I've been on this journey in the music industry is when I have been putting the the music industry first and all those aspects of what it means to be an artist and follow that line rather than putting myself first. And so that has been really difficult to come to a place where I, I sort of am able to say, oh that doesn't work for me because it doesn't work for where I'm at emotionally or I'm not feeling well I need time off that's okay like the music industry and some people in the industry they want to tell you that oh there's these opportunities you have to take them for the exposure you have to jump in and take everything and you really need to be making the most of all this stuff and if it costs you a fortune to go and do something that's a great opportunity just for the exposure oh do it anyway I don't know I think there's certain times when yes it's great to say yes to things and it's great to have a go because doors might open But I also think it's so important to just be able to listen to yourself, take a moment to go, do I need that for myself? Like, am I actually burning out? I have pushed myself at times to the point where I've just been so exhausted, emotionally wrecked that it doesn't mean that you perform well anyway. So those opportunities aren't really being utilized to the best of your ability. Is there a void there? 
that starts to occur between this music industry that we're speaking of yeah. and that of the audience engagement that you were so wonderfully lit up just moments ago speaking about i think so i i think that like the music industry has it's all about smoke and mirrors and you're always sort of trying to present this best side of yourself and say that oh everything's perfect and everything's going so well but the times when i've had the most connection with my audience times when I've been brutally honest like honesty is everything to me and I actually think my audience really respects that they know that they're going to get honesty from me in a way it fosters more of a genuine connection between you and your audience I think it's actually just important to not play by the rules of the music industry but play by your own rules how does the audience inform the music that you then decide to produce and put forth um, that's a good question because sometimes I take different roads with my songwriting. I feel like sometimes in the earlier days I was more conscious of wanting to be liked, like wanting my music to be received well. And I feel like that was sort of a big factor in determining how it turned out. I was sort of a little bit preoccupied with, you know, I hope people like that so... I was too worried about what my audience wanted but now I've actually come to a place where I don't really I don't mean to say I don't care about what my audience wants but I think it's the wrong way to go about creating something just to be pleasing someone else and I've realized that the more I am just making choices based on what feels right that intuition is so important time and time again I might have recorded a part for a song, for instance, like added this other instrument and then my gut says, no, that just doesn't work. It's making the lyrics like lose their power or it doesn't need to be there. Listening to that has been really important for me. So actually I probably don't write and produce music for my audience. It's more about producing it true to who I am. So thinking about what feels right to me in turn I think my audience resonates with that because they can feel that it's a choice that's been made for the right reasons because the other thing is you can't please your whole audience and you can't please everybody that's something that's been a really beautiful thing to learn if I tried to make music and produce music that sounded and pleased like you know sounded good to everybody and my whole audience then I wouldn't be honouring what I wanted and also everybody wants something different of you. That's the hard part in the music industry. Some people want this one side of you that's like a more like angry rock chick or whatever. Others they want this really soft folk side. Other people they want this soulful side. Then there's blues people who want that. Everyone wants something different of you anyway. So trying to please all of those people is impossible. So you may as well just please yourself. Skateboarding. Are you a good skateboarder? Wow, I'm glad you asked me that question because I am terrible. And I, to be honest, I don't think I have ever actually tried and I don't think I'm capable of it. But it's a good question because I often have dreams about skateboarding. It's only since I've been with my partner who is mad about skateboarding, an incredible skateboarder, 
that I have now have this like these dreams about skating. It's really. extremely liberating being a skateboarder. Oh, mate, I think I might have to take it up because if it wasn't for the fact that I am just, I just don't think I've got very good coordination or balance, but maybe I should. I, I remember being a kid and my cousins and stuff would all be rollerblading and doing really daring things on wheels. I was the kid sitting on the side laughing and just hanging out but not ever the one doing the risky stuff on wheels so I think that I haven't really changed a lot you know I've got somebody who can teach me to skate so maybe I should how outside of music do you find joy so many places and from so many people but the biggest place that I have found a space of solace and joy is actually the garden so when I have time off I'm mostly in the veggie garden and mostly planting things or weeding I've got a pretty impressive vegetable garden with my partner down in the Huon Valley now in Tasmania yeah we love spending time out there just away from phones and computers and just getting back and grounded again because as a musician you spend a lot of time on the computer and a lot of people don't realize that that such a large part of your job is sitting in front of a computer people just assume often that your job just involves the travel and the playing the shows like that's the fun part after all the work's been done yeah the garden for me is really is like my little space where I really like just take away all that stuff like all the responding to emails and the phone calls and I leave it all inside and I just go out there and just have the birds for company and um, our dog and yeah it's just Bimbo so too? no but she's a testy but yeah I might have to have another little bimbo down the line but I'm really keen to ask my parents where that name came from now thanks yeah. for asking <laughs> I think I'd say the veggie garden is definitely my happy place What's going well in the veggie patch at the moment? Oh, mate, if I could show you, I would. It's incredible. All of our garlic is just going incredibly well, and that will be sort of ready to harvest just before Christmas. We've got heaps of garlic in. We have potato onions. We have carrots. We've got broccoli, cauliflower, cabbages, pak choy, all those kind of brassicas and the greens kale silver beet everything's just looking beautiful at the moment it'll be really soon it'll be ready to start planting some of the spring seedlings like popping them in the ground so after i get back soon mm. i'll be planting onions and popping some lettuce seedlings in the ground and, and carrots and things can you talk to us about the quality of the soil in tasmania and particularly in the area that you're at the area I am in, in the Huon Valley, it doesn't have the same richness as the soil where I grew up. So I grew up in the northwest of Tasmania, which is just the most incredible volcanic soil, really like that beautiful red soil just so rich and incredible it's like crack for vegetables they just grow so well in that soil whereas down where I am it's not that same rich color it's more of a like a sandier kind of black kind of color not black but it's it's just not that same red beautiful earth and it's more clay actually where I am it's very clay kind of soil but 
also it's just about like bringing as many kind of manures and green manure and things like that into the soil how do the carrots turnips go with that clay that's why a lot of the beds that we've created we've gone up because we started off when we were first working the ground on our property we started off like digging down and we were and it was so difficult because you just have these like handfuls of proper clay that's so hard for a carrot to grow through clay so that's when we started building raised beds and we brought soil in cultivating that soil can take a long time Mm. so we've still got some beds where we're working it and trying to bring in lots of manures and planting green manures to fold back into the earth and and hopefully keep breaking up that clay great sort of pottery mud clay type totally make um, bowls and things out of it like proper chunks of clay self-sufficient sustainable we've had a really wonderful first year for our veggie garden that and we've only had the one the one year with a productive garden but yeah we had so much produce from the garden when it was in full force and I can see that being the case for this next season too and we don't buy a lot of vegetables because we have so much from the garden. While we're talking about produce, talking about food, let's ask Claire and Taylor regarding that of food, the favourite recipe. Oh, gee, that's tricky. Mm. I actually think that probably my favourite is my mum's lentil lasagna. I don't know, something about it when lentil lasagna just gets me every time and it's just such a good like staple in our family. Everyone loves it, even people that are like real meat eaters will always love the lentil as well. Oh, lentil can do it. Like a a decent lentil. Yeah. We're in conversation with Claire and Taylor. We're currently talking on the back of an album called All The Words. It was interesting like thinking about the title. For me, it was basically like I feel sometimes that there are, I don't know, I look back and I think... These are just some of the words that I could put into an album, of course. I feel with music and songs, it's like you do choose those words quite carefully. And when I was thinking about one song in particular that line comes from is where I say all the words I wish I had said, they weigh me down like a stone, heavy with regret. And I feel like I don't have any regrets having put these words out there for people on this album. It's like, it's nice to have been able to share these songs. So these are words that I I won't regret not having said, basically, these songs. Words often, especially these days in, in the forms that they're released, not so much song, although it can be, Words can be easily misinterpreted or interpreted for their own means. Totally. I think it's partly, I think it's kind of a beautiful thing that they can be interpreted for their own means Mm. because personally, like I've had a lot of people contact me about some of my songs and they tell me that this song of mine, for instance, My Mother the Mountain, that song has been... It's really had an amazing life of its own, just how the way it's connected with people. And some people would say to me, oh, this is my song, you know, this song is so important to me. And I sort of think, well, it's not mine anymore, is it? Like, that's okay, because it's been played at a lot of people's funerals, actually. A lot of people have contacted me to say, we played this at my mum's funeral, and this bit has become the song between my mum and I. 
so the fact that people can interpret things and take it into their own story and, and make it their own I think is the beauty of songwriting I used to be worried about writing songs that were deeply personal because I used to worry that well how on earth are people going to connect with it if I tell it so personally like if I go down into the fine details of seeing my mum in our apple orchard lying on her back amongst the forget-me-nots like how on earth is anyone else going to connect with that because that's my story and that's so personal but there's this notion that I've come to really appreciate of the personal becomes the universal. How do you deal with grief? I think that music is such a a healing force when it comes to grief. I lost somebody actually not too long ago and that was um, that song that I just said some of the words from. It, It was about her and one of the ways that I found to be really helpful for me was just singing for her like just kind of wailing and singing and it didn't really make any sense in the beginning I wasn't writing a song but it was just a way of like getting it out getting it off my chest and sending it up into the ether as like as a sort of way of honoring that loss and that person so I think that songwriting and music is just so healing and and for me it helps me it helps me kind of understand what I'm going through. There's a sense of anchoring those thoughts as well. I think so because you're sort of not just lost in the grief then you you do have a bit more of a something to kind of cling on to and that that could definitely be the case. It's a really great way to instead of all these emotions just being sort of trapped in your heart and your body and your head it's like songwriting often gives you a way to interpret what you're going through and look at it from another perspective like almost it gives you that perspective I think sometimes when you write words you don't fully understand what the meaning of them is at the time so you might write them and and just be writing from the emotion but you're not really fully understanding what they mean and it's not till sort of afterwards that you look at it from more of a critical songwriting space that you go oh that's that's probably what I'm going through or that very telling that line yeah so I feel like it's a great way to sort of understand the emotions you're going through. You mentioned that your own song has become others through funerals Mm. for example what's your funeral song at my funeral one of my the songs that i would probably love to be played is a song by rem called half a world away yeah something about that song that every time i hear it i just it's hard to describe the feeling it gives me but it's something otherworldly and it gives me just such a rise in emotions that I just oh so I'd say yeah that song where do you feel most home in terms of genre so not necessarily saying you're that genre Mm. but which genre do you feel most welcome in that's a really good one I'd say folk I consider myself a storyteller mostly and most of my songs are very story-based songs probably comes back to being that kid who just adores storytelling 
very young all I wanted to do was write stories in class that was my favorite thing we started by mentioning the barn for which you were born in Tasmania Tasmania has this wonderful thread throughout your life and I feel that's where your home is as we're talking about the veggie patch as well the latest record has 13 Tasmanian artists on it a big part of me wanted to say to the rest of Australia like look what we can do because I feel like there is a little bit of a stigma around Tassie and a lot of Tasmanian artists for instance they go to the mainland to record because there's like a bit of a perception that Tasmania doesn't have on offer like what the mainland can do and I think that I just sort of wanted to overturn that a little bit and say look at all these amazing Tasmanian musicians and we recorded it in Tassie in the Huon Valley too so I think it was really important for me to go back home and to place these songs back home where they really formed. I feel like you can really hear that in the album too, that sort of warmth of home and how comfortable I feel as well. That is really important in the delivery of the songs. I did consider going and recording in Melbourne before I came to the decision to record at home, but it was mainly that idea of being in a city where I didn't feel comfortable and thinking about going and taking that unease into the studio just felt like the wrong choice so that's why I felt really strongly about being home when I recorded. These 13 artists are also the future together with yourself in terms of Tasmanian artists. Mm. What was the vibe from those musicians of what you were allowing them to be part of? I did have a really wonderful conversation with Bo, who was the incredible drummer who played on the album, and he's so intuitive with his playing and so incredible. And he was sort of saying how much it meant to him, actually, that he's been part of a lot of projects, but I think that this album was just felt very close to his heart. So he was saying it was quite an honour to be a part of, and I felt that connection with him. You know, that's part of what makes an album special is that feeling of people being in there and loving being a part of what's being created. That crossroad, that juncture for which arts and the environment meet and collaborate. I think it's a space that we should be looking more into. I still would like to lend my voice more to conservation and that sort of thing. So I I feel like personally that's something I haven't explored enough and I haven't put enough effort into I know Bob Brown would be very encouraging of it he's done it himself he's done poetry and written songs and he's obviously a huge activist and environmental like conservationist so in some ways I think that it'll be really interesting to see where my next music journey like where it takes me next but I hope that I can be more of more involved in that yeah I think my first album's have been more involved in terms of my own personal emotions but it's only a matter of time before you want to lend your voice to other things that Mm. matter to you but I am seeing though a lot of artists who have been very active in making climate change a priority there's like a green artist kind of movement too so it'll be interesting to see the way that has an impact on the way people vote and, and consider the environment heading towards what may be the third album Mm. firstly is there a third album in the works 
Well, that's a very good question. At this stage, I am not putting any pressure on myself. It's a really nice place to be where I'm sort of saying no promises, no pressure, because actually that's when you get more creative. I think when you take creativity, I think is like the worst under pressure. If you sat over the top of a a kid with a crayon and said draw something now and make it really good that kid I, I think most kids would respond by feeling overwhelmed and not feeling relaxed to create a masterpiece it's always the case if you ask the kid to draw or color within the square yeah their best work is all the marks outside of that square absolutely yeah totally and so I think it's the same with music not having any expectations that I'm setting for myself and just seeing what how it unfolds it's a nice feeling because I've noticed that songwriting has started to sort of flourish for me again because I'm not feeling any pressure I don't have that expectation I may end up going look I'm just loving this all these songs that I've written and I feel like they need to be recorded and maybe I will have another album or maybe I will just just take a break for a while but fans shouldn't get nervous that you're retiring more that you're creating let's say that for now for sure I think that's safe very hard to retire from something that you love so much and the favorite thing for me in the world is actually being on a stage connecting with my audience that's just like the thing that gives me chills so I don't think I'll ever retire as such but I may just take long extended breaks and just take more time where I don't feel the need to be on tour all the time and so then I feel more refreshed and ready for the shows when I do play them. Claire and Taylor, thanks very much for coming to Adelaide for the tour. Thank you, John. Thanks for having me. My father built this fireplace with my uncle Jeff With stones from the paddock that he worked while one started right, the other left Somewhere in the middle they eventually met The fire Oh, she is the heart of our home Over the years she's seen us through The high times in the heart She's tasted the sweetness of blackberry wine Felt the thunder of feet dancing out of time The fire Oh, she is the heart of our home Some nights when I was a child I recall Lying on mum's chest in the bath till I fall Asleep in her arms and carried away And lay beside the warmth and crackle of her flames The It 
days we go out wood cutting under clear autumn skies with the crack of the axe and your famous smile. Now remember you said once that it warms you twice. First when you're chopping and second by the fire. When these memories roam, we have left. I will never forget the flames dancing in your eyes when you say. Bloody good to have you home. Now I bet you know why I, I live if I. Original version can be found on their latest album, All the Words. More details about them at claireandtaylor.com. Before we round out this episode, a very special mention to a release that came out in the last few days at time of record. Little Wise's sophomore album has been released, Want It All. Available to purchase via Bandcamp as well as Apple Music. And you can also stream it there as well as Spotify. That's the latest from Little Wise, an album worthy of a listen. Thanks very much to Claire Ann Taylor, our feature guest for this episode. Next episode, we'll be heading to the Northern Hemisphere to hear about ceramic pots that have made their way within traditional instruments to make new sounds and still to come up we'll catch up with the poster boy peter drew will be our very special guest in just a few episodes time radio notes podcast.com for show notes and links web design there by steve davis theme music by martin kennedy and all india radio i'm tammy weller John Murch is the producer and host based in Adelaide, South Australia.